You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. The SB Nation NFL show is on the clock, and we have it covered from every angle. I am Michael Kist, and today I am just here to introduce a couple of great guest spots that went down with my coworker here at the NFL show, Kyle Posey. Had a great talk with 2021 NFL draft prospect Ifatu Melanfanwu, the cornerback out of Syracuse that has been rising up draft boards and really impressed at his pro day, running a 448 40-yard dash with a 41-and-a-half-inch vert and an 11-2 broad jump. And that's followed up by KP talking with Scott Marks about what really grinds their gears about the discussions and debates that occur this time of year with the NFL draft with some detailed talk about BYU quarterback Zach Wilson included in there. So you're not going to want to miss that. Remember, subscribe, rate and review. If you're leaving a written review in Apple Podcasts, one of our hosts will discuss it on one of our many shows here. So go ahead and take 60 seconds to do that. Leave a take, leave a question. Just say you're following directions, whatever you feel like. We really appreciate it as it helps others discover this network. But enough of that. Let's kick it off with KP's discussion with Syracuse cornerback Ifatu Melanfanwu right now. Ifatu, what's going on, man? Um, I'm, I'm good, man. How are you? Thank you for having me. Always, always. Thanks for taking the time to do this. So uh, we're going to just talk about everything football wise from leading up to the draft to, you know, your preparation and everything in between. So we're recording this on Thursday. It is opening day. Uh, what other sports did you play coming up? And if you uh, let's just start there. What other sports did you play just coming up as an athlete? Yeah, so I played basketball. I started basketball like the year after I started football. So I started basketball in fourth grade and then I played basketball all four years of high school along with football. I ran track my first two years. And I actually played lacrosse my junior year for one year. And then, yeah, that's about it. Were you surprised by the type of athletes on the lacrosse field? No, I wasn't really surprised. I feel like even when I like stepped out there, I was the most athletic dude. It was just, it was just getting like the stick skills down. If you weren't playing football right now, what would you be doing? Um, if I wasn't playing football. I feel like if I, if I wasn't playing football, I would try to pursue basketball growing up. But if, if I wasn't doing sports at all, I would be like a financial advisor because I'm, I'm an economics major. So I want to actually use my, you know, use my major. That That's rare because, I mean, most people who graduate have nothing to do with what their major is. So, no, yeah. that, that's great. Um, economics has obviously been a big deal, especially this past couple of years or so. Uh, just real quick before we move on, because basketball is entertaining for me. Uh, that's just a great way to get cardio. And I think people don't understand that. What, what are you? Were you like a stretch three? Were you like a three and D guy? What type of player were you? So uh, growing up, I was always a point guard. I was a point guard until like my junior year. And that's when I, I hit a little, a little more of a growth spurt. When you, you say a little more of a growth spurt, well, because I, I feel like you're underselling how, how much you grew. What, what was the growth spurt? So, no. So it, it really wasn't that much, but like, End of eighth grade, I grew to six feet. So my my freshman and sophomore year, I was I was six feet, and I was playing point guard. 
And then after I grew to like six two, uh, six two and a half around there. So yeah, so then I got moved to like a three and four for rebounds and stuff like that. Six feet as an eighth grader is just unreal to me. So I can imagine you got some offers early on. So, okay, you played cornerback, and let's talk about the position. It, it took me a few plays to realize that you knew what you were doing. So I saw you at the Senior Bowl just do something as simple as take a leverage step. And then I, yeah. against another team in 2019, I saw you undercut a route, get to the low, low shoulder of the receiver, and just um basically run the bunch route for him on a slant route. That was very, very yeah. impressive to me. Um, we'll get to how you test it next, but let's talk about just the mental part of the game because putting yourself in a position, that's how you make plays. Like that's half the battle and you can be as physically gifted as you want, but if you don't understand concepts, especially at the next level, you're not going to play. When did you start to realize that studying the tape was the name of the game and how has your game evolved since then? Yeah, so I feel like I really, I started learning more and more from when I got into college 2017 to 2018, 2019, but I feel like really mentally and concepts and all that, I really got a grasp of that um, in 2020, this last season, and that's when I really knew how to study film and what to look for and tendencies and all that. So I feel like people don't realize it's a huge, it's really a huge part of the game. Um, Like you said, you can have all the athletic ability in the world, but, you know, if you don't know what you're doing mentally and, and, um, and if you don't have technique, then all that means nothing. Would you say, I mean, every athlete once upon a time, they were raw. So how, like, how did that help you as far as, you know, the technique goes as far as just understanding what's going on around you? Um, yeah. So like coming in, uh, I really had like no technique. I feel like coming into college, uh, I was just climbing from a small, you know, small area in Massachusetts and, um, so I didn't really like have technique. I was just playing off athleticism. I didn't really like need it so much. Um, and then each year, I, I feel like each year I just improved with technique. And uh, and that's why I feel like each year I got better and better and started making like more and more plays and, uh, you know, started after, after uh, starting in 2019, starting in 2020. Um, I feel like it just helped me like, Technique and knowing the game and the mental aspect helped me like tremendously. Eventually, so obviously we're gonna, as I mentioned, you know, put up some crazy testing numbers, but you had to have some type of welcome to the ACC moment where you know you realize you can't rely on your physical tools. When when did that happen? Um, welcome to well, I feel like my welcome to like college moment was like that summer when I first got to Puce. I got. We was doing like a seven on seven and I got scored on by um, Steve Ishmael. I got scored on by Steve Ishmael. And that was like, that kind of like woke me up a little bit because I never got scored on in high school. Wow. So that was like my welcome to, you know, welcome to college. Welcome to, welcome to ACC. I feel like my welcome to ACC was honestly a good moment. It was 2018 versus UNC. Um, it was like the sixth game of the year. I wasn't really playing like that before because I was a freshman. freshman. Uh, I was just playing like the fourth quarter as one of these kind of teams. Um, but that actually was a starting corner, got injured in the first quarter. So I played the whole game um, in versus UNC, and I ended up with four, four pass breakups. Um, we won the game in overtime. So that was like my welcome to the to ACC. I imagine that had to be a big confidence boost in moving forward. That kind of helped you out realize, you know, hey, I can do this. Yeah, for sure. So at your pro day, 
I don't know. I read something about, you know, you saying that you can move to safety. You you jumped 41 inches. You had an 11-2 broad jump, 4-4 flat, 4-3-9, which is ridiculous. Um, how do you feel about all these pro day numbers that are going around? Because everyone ever is running a pro day. And I feel like when you watch you, that checks out. But you can't say that for everybody. Do you have any type of feelings on what's going on around the pro days around that? Um, just you know, Yeah, um, I, I really like, I really try not to focus on other people's and what other people's are, uh, you know, they're doing with the numbers and how, how they ran. Um, I was really just locked in on what I did. Um, you know, I feel like I did what I needed to do and I performed well. Um, you know, a lot of teams had me at, at like in the four fives. So I thought I was going to run mid four fives and stuff. So I, and I ran in the four four. So I feel like you know, I passed that test right there. So now I'm really just, Training right now, focusing on myself, still in the gym, still doing BB stuff and just, you know, just just really waiting for the draft. But I can't I can't control that other stuff. So there's no reason for me to even worry about, you know, um, what other people are running and all that. For sure. A hundred percent. So um, you mentioned just not worrying about other people. Um Let's talk about, and as I ask you this, I want to talk about your safety, Andre Cisco, because he's a baller and he did not yeah. get a chance to play in 2020. Uh, I feel like if he did, we're talking about, you know, at worst, a top three safety in the class. Tell us a little bit about him because he's a flat, he's a fun player that can just run really fast and hit you very, very hard. Yeah. So that's, that's my dog. That's one of my closest friends. Probably talk to uh, Dre. I like, honestly, like once a day or once every other day. Um, yeah. You know, he's definitely, he's definitely a playmaker. You know, I think he did. He, he only played two games a season, ended up getting injured, but he still leads the whole safety pass with interceptions. That's um, nice. So that's just supposed to show you right there how much of a playmaker he is. And um, I was definitely a joy playing with him. Um, I feel like we we just we, we bounced off each other. You know, we we competed with each other. We made each other better. So uh, he's definitely he's definitely a ball hawk. Who was the best receiver you went against during your time in college? During my time in college, um, playing in the ACC, I went against a lot of receivers. You did a lot of good receivers. Um, uh, the, I want, I would say the one that gave me the most problems was in 2018 uh, when I was a redshirt freshman, Kelvin Harmon from NC State. Ah, yeah. He gave me the most problems, but I will say, like, I've gone against great receivers like T. Higgins, Justin Ross, Desmond Patrick. I've gone against a lot of good dudes, but. Um, Kevin Holland probably got after me the most. A, he's a good player. He was really good at NC State. Yeah. I assume yeah. by this point, you know, you've spoken to every team. Which teams have you had the best meetings with? The best meetings. Um, I feel like all my all my dialogue with teams have been really, really good. Um, one of the most, I will say one of the most memorable was actually, was actually the 49ers because it was my first NFL, first NFL interview ever. So, mm. That one was probably the most memorable, and I had him at the senior bowl. And that just that just stood out to me. Obviously, my brother's on the team or, or on a futures contract. So so they kind of they already knew who I was, obviously. They knew my brother, but it was just a good conversation with um, you know, the their staff. Uh way back when, I mean, when the combine was happening during the process, during the interview processes, um, you would hear some crazy questions being asked. Did, did that ever happen to you this cycle? No, nah, I actually I was waiting for it. I never got a crazy one though. Never got a crazy one. Because my brother used to tell me about, you know, he got a crazy one when he was coming up. It was, you know, if you killed someone, where would you hide the body? <laughs> <laughs> you 
like, uh, I to kill somebody. So I was expecting crazy, something crazy. I never got anything. What, what do they expect y'all to say when they're asking you these questions? We're supposed to be talking about football. I mean, obviously they want to know it's, about your background or whatever, but go ahead. It's really, I feel like they really want to see if they can make you tick, you know, what makes you tick if you're easily angered or if you'll slip up and say something wild, like, you know, if someone actually answered where they would hide a body, now you're thinking like, hold on. Like, right. Have <laughs> you thought about this before? You know what I mean? So, right. so just trying to see if you'll slip up or anything like that. That is the NFL to a T, man. Okay, so you have played with a couple different DCs, if I'm correct, and then you also had a few different CB coaches as well. So how yeah. has that helped evolve your game as a player? Yeah, honestly, it's. I feel like it's helped me a lot, and I've actually been lucky to, to go through that. I had two defensive coordinators, um, Coach Ward from 2017 to 2019, and he ran a he ran a 4-3. We played a lot of a lot of man, a lot of press. Um, in a field and a boundary, and we played a lot of cover three. And then I had Coach West, I'm a Coach White for 2020. He was a DC, and we ran a three through five, which is really like a four two. Um, we played a lot. We played a lot of man as well. We played a lot of cloud. A lot like we played a lot of a mix of different things, like a lot of zone compared to years prior. And then you know having three three corners coaches, Coach Monroe, then Coach McLeod, 2018-2019. And, uh, and Coach West, I feel like they all taught me some different things, and I was able to just build year and year and year out, and just improve with each each coach. So I'm I'm paraphrasing here, but Deion Sanders said they don't pay me to tackle, and that is not the case with you. I've seen you throw receivers to the side, you know, come up and make a play. How important do your coaches stress the run game, and how do you think that will allow you to stay on the field at the next level? Yeah, my coaches stress that heavily. And fall camp, we do um, it's called DB receiver crossover. So we're always like every day we're doing, you know, a, a, a screen drill with the receivers and trying to get off blocks and make a tackle. So they they stress that a lot, and especially especially for me, like if I if I don't get off blocks, like I'm I'm gonna get yelled at compared to just maybe a dude uh, that's like five eleven because they say I should never get blocked. So. Um, they they stress that to me every day, and uh, how, how that helped me. I feel like teams will look at me and say, like, I'm actually physical for a corner because you know sometimes that's not usually like what happens at corner. Um, but I'm a willing tackler, phys- physical tackler, and I feel like teams see that, and that's why they think, oh, he would he would be fine at safety. He could play safety as well, or he could play in the box as well. Yeah, that I mean, that goes a long way because think about just Kyle Shannon, the 49ers. He's a wide zone kind of guy. He will just crack – the receivers will crack down, and you're unblocked, and now you have to make a play one-on-one. And that probably happens like five or ten times a game. So if you can't tackle, you're giving up big plays. And if you're giving up big plays, even if it's on the ground game, you're not going to play. Exactly. So um, everyone says that they don't care about where they're drafted, but it has to mean something to hear your name drafted on day one. What would that mean to you? Oh yeah, to be drafted on day one would just, you know, just it would be a blessing. That's something I've always, you know, I pray for. I've always wanted to hear my name get called on on day one. I don't even know how I'll react if that happens. Um, God, you know, God willing. But in terms of teams, like whichever team doesn't really matter. I'll just I'll be happy anywhere I go. 
you get uh you get bragging rights from big bro too <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> all right so what part of your game do you have to improve the most on um i want to work on my pad level just being being so tall i need to uh you know stay lower on my pedal and, and press and it'll, it'll just help me that being low will just help me in my footwork and transition naturally so so doing that is like killing two birds with one stone almost um so, so definitely, yeah, I feel like I could still work on my pedal as well. Um, you know, trust me, off man is a really hard technique to do. A lot of teams don't even do it. Uh, they either just press or just bail. So uh, continuing to work on my off man as well. Yeah, I don't think people understand how difficult that is. So you're five yards, six yards off, whether you're inside shade or outside shade. A receiver is running full speed at you, and you have to make like a split decision, whether he's going this way, that way, or whatever. And if you make the wrong decision or if you're hesitant, you're toast. And that happens time after time again. So off man is so tough. What I would say is you just have to be more consistent and that's with your weight distribution. So if you're leaning forward a little bit, that is good. If you go tall, as you said, you know, you're going to be a split second late. And even, you know, you, as fast as you are, you don't want to have to rely on your physical skills all the time. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. You know, you hit it on the head. Um, I don't, people don't understand how hard that is. And especially since, you know, the, your first three steps, really, you're not even looking at the receiver, you're looking at the quarterback, you know, to see if it's quick throw or not. And then, and then you got to look back at the receiver. And now he's, now he might be like four yards away from you, three yards away from you. You got to open up, you might have to break. Yeah. People really don't understand how hard it is. So when you're when we're talking about read steps, how, how do how do they teach you? Is it just three slow steps? Are you doing flat foot reads? And I guess maybe to add to that, what are you most comfortable doing? Uh, I'm, it's 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 really just three like slow steps. Our coach, my coach West, would say, um, give ground grudgingly. Just three, you know, easy slow slow steps while I'm reading the quarterback. Um, it depends what coverage. If I'm if I'm gonna cover uh, three. I will be ten yards back because I'm because I still have third. So that would be more of like almost like a flat foot read because I'm so far back already that I don't need to fly out of there. So it really just depends. But I'm I'm just comfortable, you know, just giving three slow back pedals. Some some um, coaches teach like scoots is kind of like a shuffle back. Yeah, uh, we just teach that like slow back pedal. Yeah. And I've heard where, you know, like I coach like 16 year olds, I've got kids in college where I'm trying to make it just walk. If that's what it takes to get through your head, just walk. And that, and that helps them register. So it's all just phrasing and terminology, but I I was just curious what they tell you. Um, Mm -hmm. All right. So every CB again, feels like they're the best in the business. What skills set you apart? Like why you would be CB one, for example, and why will you cash out on your second contract? So what's, I feel like what sets me apart is, Obviously, my size, my size to, to begin with, um, but also also just my, my athleticism and and you know my, like I said before, a lot of people didn't think I was going to run in a four four. So it's like I have size and speed, and then and then you put the tape on too, and I have the technique as well. Um, so you add all that together, and I'm at corner, but I'm physical and and I like tackling. And I make a lot of tackles and I'm a winning tacker. So I feel like that's just a bo- that's a bonus as well. So I feel like all that together really sets me apart. 
my answer for you would be recovery speed. So you ran a one, four split, like one, four, seven or something like that, which is pretty yeah. silly. Uh, like it was like 95, 98 percentile, something in those lines. But if you can't recover, because inevitably you're going to get beat at the NFL, like that's yeah. going to happen. The receiver is going to get a step and he's going to gain leverage on you. It's happened in college. It happens in the pros. It happens to everybody. So if you can't make up that time, if you can't make up those couple of steps, you're not going to last in the NFL. And I think recovery speed should have more of a factor than 40 times. And, and you prove that, I mean, time and time again, even at the senior bowl. So that was, that was pretty impressive to me. And that's why, you know, even if you don't go on day one, you probably will not last too long on day two. So I want to thank you for joining us. Is there anything else, you know, you want to plug? Is there anything you want to work on? You want to tell the people? Um, no, I think, I, I think you hit on everything. Honestly, I think I said it all. Um, I just wanted to say thank you for having me on the show. Always, man. I'll, I'll be rooting for you. And, and if you're going to be on the 49ers, we will be talking a lot here coming up. So again, yeah. thanks as always. We're going to throw it to break. And when we get back, we're going to talk to my friend Scott Marks. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels. But now the only thing you're missing is, you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. I am joined by a very, very special guest. His name is Scott. You may know him from Twitter on Marxist Film, an account that no longer exists because the internet is fake. Scott, what's going yes, on? That, that is true. The internet is fake. Yeah, and I'm not, I mean, who knows, but I don't plan on coming back. So uh, <laughs> yeah, if you want to find me, I technically have a YouTube channel too, I guess. You can go watch that. I actually think that for people that kind of want a better, uh, a deeper look at like how I see the sport, that's probably not a bad place. We'll get into it, obviously. But if you want to hear me ramble on for even longer, you can check out that. I think it's called Marxist Film. I think that's what the YouTube channel is called, something like that. And you can, you can find my videos on some some quarterbacks. That's probably not a bad place to find me in the end. So, Scott, today we're going to talk about the draft and the process. We don't, we're probably going to talk about players just because their players are involved. But I, I'd like to discuss... Everything that's wrong with the draft and the draft process <laughs> from groupthink to how we don't learn to how we haven't evolved and everything in between. So let's let's talk about groupthink. How, how dangerous is that? Because every year we see people come out with one ranking or let's say Mel Kuyper comes out with a ranking and every other ranking is pretty similar to that. Nobody really right. strays from that. How much of a problem is that going into, you know, just the draft? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a good question. And I don't know if it's like, quote unquote, groupthink or just like poor evaluation ability, or I do think that there is like a certain incentive to not be, you know, not grade players, uh, sort of honestly, um, but it's a huge problem. I mean, and I think that just a lack of 
ability to like learn and evolve because it feels like we make the same mistake every year. I mean, you know, we will talk about specific players, but like, it seems like every year we do like sort of something similar to like the Hakeem Butler thing where it's like some guy got a bunch of yak again, you know, against, you know, future insurance salesmen who can't tackle <laughs> at all. There was this guy's the next AJ Green, which was so funny because it's just like he plays nothing like AJ Green. Like they're not right. remotely similar. So the conversation gets polarized in a way that I think is really unhelpful. Like I'm not a big Justin Fields fan. We'll just say that as like an example. But I saw people writing things like uh, saying like Justin Fields isn't a one read quarterback. And it's like, yeah, anyone who honestly believes that is obviously not worth addressing that. But that doesn't then mean if he's not a one read quarterback that actually he's phenomenal at reading the field, you know? So it's just like, there's no like nuance to the conversation. It's all just addressing these like hyper polarized edges of takes for clicks, I guess. I mean, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know how cynical to be about it, but it just isn't particularly interesting. Yeah, the, the hyperbole is definitely out of control. So in this example, like I think Justin Fields is the second best player in the draft. I think he's going to be very good. It might not be sure. right away, but eventually I think he will get there. So just off that interaction alone, it would be an endless thread on Twitter about how you're dumb, how you're an idiot. And, right, and there's, right. there's no like tangible arguments going on there's no structure there's no um nobody knows what to say nobody knows how to criticize so let's kind of talk about that and how we haven't evolved because you mentioned uh Hakeem Butler who I don't know what we saw in him to think that he would be a special player it took like one I I saw a couple practices in training camp from the Cardinals and he just looked like he didn't belong but that was what we kind of saw at Iowa State uh Jared Goff right was recently traded for a bag of pennies, essentially, he, like Jared Goff was the throw-in in the Rams-Lions trade, and this is not to pat myself <laughs> right. back, but I thought I had a fifth-round grade on Jared Goff because what you saw at Cal is what we saw with the Rams, just because yeah. Sean McVay, quote-unquote, dressed him up to be a better player, that doesn't mean Jared Goff was the reason. So why do we struggle with that? Is like, how do we improve? 100% honest opinion. It's completely changed the way you think about the sport. I think that when you kind of understand the sport primarily through production, when on a given play, right, Kyle, you know this, there's uh, 22 people on the field. On a given play, at most, like two people will get credit for production. At that point, most of your statistics are all driven by that. The grading PFF does, we all know it's garbage. I'm sorry. It's terrible. Anyone who's watched any film knows it's not <laughs> useful. Like it, it, they don't know what they're looking at. And I think once you really get down the rabbit hole of like learning scheme and film and technique, you realize how difficult it is to like really fully know what a guy's responsibility is, how they're coaching up run fits, how like there's so much that goes into technique uh, how a team's coaching something up. So there is so much more to the game than the quarterback. And it's kind of funny because I think it's honestly as simple as if the game wasn't televised the way it was, people would, people would probably realize point. that a bit more. <laughs> because like imagine watching basketball and it was only zoomed in on the guy with the ball and you like never saw anything <laughs> else. Like you wouldn't understand basketball at all. To me, that's the number one thing is, is kind of completely changing how you understand how the sport works. Because if you think that the quarterback is responsible for – 50% of what happens in a given play, you, you just have no chance at getting anything right. That's just, that's my honest opinion. Think about the plays. We can, we can come through any play. So let's say it's a toss to the right. The, the left guard has to cut off the backside linebacker. Right. <laughs> he cannot get to the backside linebacker because the nose tackle has jammed up the center so much that he can't climb to the second right. level. Linebacker comes free. 
it looks terrible, but there are so many moving parts in that scenario or in a passing situation. Let's say that uh, on the left side, they're running a very simple curl flat route. The guy on the slot receiver gets jammed and now his like he right. can't move. He can't go anywhere. And now he is in the throwing lane for the curl route. Quarterback holds the ball because he has nowhere to go. Quarterback takes a sack who like it looks like it's on him because that's right. Right. And that's and that's the thing with the broadcast. You rise. You'll see that people be like, oh, the quarterback's not reading the field well. And it's like, how do you know? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't know. Like, I I guarantee I know about more about quarterback reads than you probably do. And I don't know if you read the field well or not. And, And like, I get it because I'll watch the games like as a fan or whatever. And if whoever you're rooting for, be like, ah, man, I can't believe he did that. And then you go back and watch on the film. You're like, well, what was he supposed to do? I mean, there was nothing yeah. to do on that play. And even the people who claim to do film analysis and like, I- I've been there. I-, I think I used to do a really bad job. I think I'm actually pretty good at it now. Uh, but like, but I would still tell you there's plenty of stuff that I don't know. Uh, but like it, it just, even the people who claim to do film analysis, like you watch it and you're like, man, what are you talking about? <laughs> um, so, and, and that's, um, it's important to be able to, uh, kind of look at yourself and realize where your where your faults at because I've I've looked at some of the videos that I even put out um just this past summer that just awful stuff just terrible yeah, right. stuff um, <laughs> yeah. but you just yeah. learn so much but if if you're not aware of your faults you're always going to think that you know you're in the right and uh, that that kind of ties us into back to the jargon so uh, JC Horn is a guy that I just wrote about and I I pretty much watched every game of his over the last two years. And when I see people's, you know, there's jargon that, you know, greasy hips or oily hips is a thing that people say about quarterbacks, which I don't even know what that means or how you would apply that. But some people will say, you know, he doesn't know how to get in and out of his breaks, just, you know, more jargon, but none of that is the case if you watch him. So it, it comes down to, you see somebody else say something, you will repeat that. And then on and on and on. And that goes back to group think. But yeah, we just have to evolve. And and that would require us to, you know, want to learn about the game or, or maybe be more concerned about somebody who's not holding the ball. There, there's just a lot of stuff like that where it's like, I feel like the conversation could be a lot more interesting and a lot more complex. Let's talk about a quarterback who is the flavor of the month. And every year, it's the same cycle each year. Multiple quarterbacks get propped up. One freak athlete. Right pass rusher who didn't have any sacks gets propped up uh quarterback <laughs> who everybody thinks is great it doesn't end up being great uh this year the flavor of the year is zach wilson and for example let's say that he sells a pass um there's a reason that he sells a pass but nobody ever talks about the why and that's what drives sure. me insane when we're talking about these prospects and these players and zach wilson why why do you think he's being propped up because there's a strong chance that he's going to be the second overall pick in the draft yeah that's that's crazy i mean i think i i kind of mentioned to you i'm not this is not a a class i'm that excited about in general and i wouldn't take any of these guys particularly high maybe I, I i'd probably take lawrence decently high but the rest of them i, I could kind of take or leave regardless but wilson specifically i mean i don't know i i i, I my the best answer i have for you kyle is what i said before which is is thinking that the answer to the sport is that you need a quarterback and i think and i think that now especially what's happened right is we've decided i mean not just the media, but like the league too, which is very interesting to me. Even the league has decided that like you can't win without a quarterback, right? Which is so funny because we have all these examples of teams succeeding with guys who clearly aren't any good. And, and like, I mean, say what you want about Jared Goff, right? Like it's dumb to say they couldn't have won that Super Bowl with Jared Goff. They absolutely still could have won that game. They didn't, but they could have. It's interesting to me how much emphasis the league is putting on the position. But I, I do think that there is this, 
huge overweight of the position in terms of financial and draft investment. So then if that's the case, you start propping these guys up because everybody needs one, right? right? So if everybody needs one, then there need to be more of them than there really are. And the sort of irony to that to me is if you were just honest about these guys and were like, no, Jimmy Garoppolo is really only worth like $8 million a year or whatever, then you'd have a much, all these guys, even the quarterbacks themselves would have a much better chance of succeeding because you'd be able to give them a team that would actually support their level of talent. But if you're paying Baker Mayfield $35 million a year, if you're drafting Zach Wilson at number two overall, and you're setting these expectations, which they can never meet, you're just going to get disappointed. So I guess my best answer to that is just the overvaluation of the position in general leads people to prop up guys who don't actually meet the bill. And I think with Wilson specifically, I guess we could talk about the whole production thing where he was in a very easy offense and it was very easy for him to produce against lesser competition. He doesn't read the field well. Yeah. I don't think he's that physically gifted. Why is the ball coming out so wobbly? If he's such a great, ta- if he's got such great arm talent, why is the ball wobbling all over the place? And I thought that was a great then, point, by the way. You know, yeah, he's a little mobile, but like not that. It's not like it's not Lamar Jackson out there. I, like, I don't, you know, I, I so I just I don't see it. And you could say, well, we could put him in a Kyle Shanahan offense. It's like, okay, great. And and I think him the too. thing that's sort of being under underrated about the west coast that cole shanahan uh west coast you're uh, sorry outside zone scheme type thing is that like those teams still require a lot of talent you just don't need as much talent out of your quarterback but like you still have to put a great line together you often have to put a great set of skill talent it's not like you can just throw a bunch of guys out there coach them up correctly and it doesn't matter it just it just that system shows you that you can put talent at other positions instead of the quarterback and produce that's what it says to me anyway uh, but anyway, I know, sorry, that was kind of a long answer, but I think it just, t- there's so many things that tie into this that, that, that uh, I think it's worth mentioning. Yeah. There are a lot, a lot, a lot of examples of everything you just said. One comes to mind where Zach, there was a, the left tackle gets beat and Wilson has a chance to get to the edge against an edge rusher. And I think it might be Utah or a, a school where the defensive end probably isn't running anything better than a four, eight. He can't beat right. him to the edge, <laughs> right. and he has to retract, yeah. and then he gets sacked. Like though that happens a lot. He right. takes way too many sacks for a guy who's going to go number two overall. And I thought when you mentioned the wobbly balls, like the knuckle balls he's throwing, that is terrifying to me because anytime he gets to you know when he has to throw these back shoulders, that ball is not a tight spiral. And you do not no. see that from like a Fields, a Lance, a Lawrence. You don't see those type of passes at all. Arms well, see, and then seeing the field is probably the biggest one. When when a guy is when we get to the term hospital balls, when you see multiple of these yeah. a game in a, in BYU's offense, because for the record, BYU's offensive line is fantastic, and they might have had the best offensive line in the country. Uh, whenever he has to break down, or whenever there's any sort of pressure, or when the defense isn't playing some vanilla coverage and Wilson has to read right. the field and maybe a safety is dropping down from a robber or the linebacker doesn't chase and he's picking up the crosser. Wilson doesn't see right. that at all. And oh yeah. His guys no, and I, and, oh yeah. And I think even more to what you're saying, like you brought up a number of things that I think are really interesting to touch on from an eval perspective, which is like, and they're kind of general and we could use Wilson as like a template, but Uh, the reading the field thing is so interesting to me. Cause like I, so I had watched him on like broadcast, which I'd be the first to tell you broadcast is not 
great, but I, it's all I had. So I was, I was like, oh yeah, he's, he's fine. I, I don't like him nearly as much as everybody else does. I was going to do this video of Billy. And so I threw on the all 22 and I didn't, I expected to be like, yeah, this guy's fine, you know, whatever. And honestly, I thought he was terrible reading the field because, and people think that's harsh, but it's like, look, I think people are, and that's another, we, we were talking about issues. A huge issue to me is like the jump between college and the NFL is massive. It's yeah. massive. It is not just a little step up. It is massive. And so if you can't even, and to me, I was watching this and I said this in the video, I was watching this Boise State game and it's like, again, I don't know. I'm not in the room. So I'll, I'll, I'll preface that. But it seemed to me like BYU understood the way that um, Boise State was going to play coverage. They were going to have these crossers behind their linebackers open all day. And they kept calling these plays to hit these crossers. And he kept not throwing the ball to these open crossers. And it's like, all right, like, there's no way that they, like, that this wasn't mentioned during the week, that this wasn't basically the plan to me. I mean, that's just, that's, that's my opinion. And he's still not hitting these throws. So you could talk about the hospital balls too, but also what about the throws not made? And that's the other thing mm -hmm. that doesn't show up, right? Like you can produce, but like in that game to me, I would have graded Wilson terribly. And I'm pretty sure he threw for like 300 yards and a bunch of touchdowns or whatever, because the, the defense was bad and they didn't need to do much to produce. The other thing I think you mentioned is the athleticism jump up. I don't know if you were <laughs> as much of a connoisseur or whatever of watching Joe Burrow this year. But it was very funny to me every week for like the first four or five weeks watching him go like, oh, I'm going to shake this defensive tackle. And the defensive <laughs> tackle just like obliterating him because it's like, look, I know you played in the SEC, but like one, it was kind of a down year for the SEC on the defensive line that year. And two, it's still not the NFL. And so like it's funny sometimes watching guys who truly aren't like special athletes interact with NFL defensive linemen. And, and that's that's my thing is like you can't just be a like, above average college athlete and then expect to go to the NFL and impress with your athleticism. Like you're going to be a below average athlete in the NFL at that point. Just something to Bur consider. Burrow was able to do that at LSU. So at the, the highest level of competition in college football, Burrow was right. able to evade right. defenders. I watched Javon Kinlaw run through Alabama's line. I watched him overpower everybody he went against. He couldn't do that against the worst NFL lineman last yeah. year. So when you talk about right. step up in college from to the pros, yeah. like I don't think we put enough emphasis on that. So that's a really good point. And just going back to Wilson and the crossers, I don't know, man, because that maybe five, five times a game, I would say, where guys are just running naked over the middle on routes yeah. that are designed to be thrown to, right. because that is the, right. like it, the, when you right. say why cross, play. it's the, right. <laughs> that is the right. name of the play. So yeah, that's, right. that's, uh, it's interesting, man. And yeah, it's not to just keep, you know, poo-pooing on Wilson because I, I don't think he's undraftable, but I, I do think there is a lot of buyer beware because again, we see this every year. Uh, we saw it with Goff. We saw it with Baker, who is probably even a better example of a guy who his physical skills are not, you know, he's limited physically and right. he's being, yeah. you know, he's winning in the NFL, but that's more to do because of his coach is a genius and not so much, um, you know, Baker being Baker. Well, and honestly too, like Baker had to throw a better ball than Wilson does. I think that's my, I mean, like, like Baker's arm is probably at least like closer to NFL average. That's where I get concerned watching Wilson. It's like, is this, you know, I said, this is that even NFL average? I kind of think it's minus arm strength in the NFL. And like, I would be, I'd rather take a guy who at least had traits 
And I could, you know, because that, that's the thing as ultimately I land on, he doesn't really have traits and he's not particularly smart. So like, what am I getting? So I have Zach Wilson QB4 uh, probably in that uh, mid, I mean, from the draft perspective, I'd probably feel comfortable taking him closer to the second round in this sense. But again, if we're talking about second round quarterbacks, how many of those guys pan out? So either, either you're a first round quarterback or you're not. And in this sense, there are yeah. enough question marks to where he's probably not. So with that in mind, right. how come none of these evaluators are held accountable? So we see the same mistakes <laughs> every year. At what point do we, you know, the big media will call them. Yeah. So in my opinion, they're wrong every year. Um, I remember oh, yeah, arguing VH3 sure. against Jalen Ramsey. People told me that right, a 5'9 right, right. cornerback who ran a 4'5, right. people who are currently on TV, was not as good as Jalen Ramsey, who is like a <laughs> specimen unicorn. And now I don't even think VH3 is on a team and Ramsey is as he, the CB1, who was right. the most obvious thing in the world to see. But not just that. I mean, Josh Jackson from Iowa, cornerback, who was propped up as this, you know, great, great cornerback because he had a bunch of interceptions, not in the league right, right now. It's every year. Right. When, when, what has to happen for these people to be held accountable? Or will that ever even happen? Will we reach that point? No, I mean, I don't think it's ever. Because, right, I mean, I think that the, and this is where the, uh, this is where the more cynical, uh, and, and this is not the point of having me on, obviously, but this is where the, the Marxist side comes in, which is that, like, I, I just, that's not the point, right? The point isn't to get it right. Uh, the point is to kind of generate hype and generate, you know, clicks that's and true. generate uh, interest, especially at that level. So I, I think that that's where, like, to me, the big media doesn't bother me as much because I kind of get it. Like, I get what the game is. <laughs> um, but with the sort of draft Twitter community and that stuff, it's like, well, you guys ostensibly, like, claim to care about getting it right. And you continue to fail over and over. Uh, that part is a little kind of a little bit more a little bit more inexplicable to me. Um, I think a lot of that is just the format of Twitter, the format, uh, similarly, the format of media and kind of also just like, I mean, I think honestly too, a lot of people, like, I know, like you don't, I mean, you know, Kyle, you're you're like just probably a better person than me. Like you can kind of use Twitter and like be (laughs) off of it the most of the time. Like you're not really on there. Like I just can't do that. I'm either on it or I'm not. So I just chose not to be, but like, I feel like more and more, the people that I talk to that I think are smart don't really spend time on there. So I think that's also kind of the problem of like the people who (laughs) kind of figure out the game kind of detach from it more and more. And so then it's harder and harder to get the conversation pushed in the right direction because, because the people who are pushing the right direction kind of give up. (laughs) No, that is a fair point because I'm not going to spend time on an app where the majority of people are just repeating what they read from people who do not right. know what they are talking about. So I'm not going to spend right, all right. day in these threads um, with somebody's like people call me an idiot and people call me all types of names because I have a different right. opinion oh, yeah. from somebody else. And yeah. like, that doesn't bother me at all because I'm well aware of where they're getting their information from. Um, right. But again, yeah, right. I, I some of these, like a lot of, in a lot of these instances, I teach this to kids, like parents pay me to teach their kids to do something. So I, in, in the most literal sense, I guess that makes me an expert, but again, I, I'm well aware of the flaws. Like I, I have so much to learn. I would say my knowledge of the game is like 13% out of a hundred. Whereas the people on Twitter is like <laughs> right. 1% out of a hundred. So the gap, right. there's, there's a, there's a big gap, but for me, like I, there's so much about this game that I don't learn, but that makes it interesting. So I'd rather, you know, spend yeah. time learning about the game. And that's why that goes yep. back to earlier where I'm talking about, man, looking, reading about the things that I put out, like even six months ago, uh, two years, totally. three years. Um, I was reading uh, my, my most overrated players from the 2018 draft. And I had 
uh, Nick Chubb on there, who's like the best running back, <laughs> one of the best running backs in the NFL right now. Yeah, so Nick, taking Nick's that one of the most right, one of the most special uh, special athletes I've ever seen. Uh, yeah. Certainly, is Nick Chubb pleasure, and that that's also I, I wish people just like took a little bit more. And I get that I'm the guy saying you should be more negative, which is true. But part of the reason for that is to get things right. But I also wish people just took more pleasure in like watching some of these guys. And I think part of that too is overrating. I, I and that's part of where people not playing. Like I don't think people have a good sense of like what's special and what's not. Always, I think right. a lot of people think think ordinary things are special and and think special or th- special things are ordinary because they don't really know what they're looking for. Scott, you are awesome. You are excellent. I wish there was something to plug you with, but it's not. <laughs> the, the, uh, you're not on the internet. Yeah, check out yeah, just check out the YouTube channel uh, otherwise. Yeah, uh thanks so much for having me, Kyle. It was really good to talk to you. Always, man. Always a pleasure and I look forward to speaking with you again. More to-dos, less time, and an infinite number of tools to keep track of. Sometimes doing business has never felt harder, but you don't need a miracle to hit your goals. You can just use HubSpot because their all-in-one customer platform can make growing your business infinitely easier. Imagine this, high-quality leads, fast-closing deals, wildly happy customers, and more benchmark-breaking quarters. It's not a miracle, it's HubSpot. Visit HubSpot.com to get started today.